What is the role of women as missionaries within a biblical view of gender roles? God has given spiritual gifts to all of his believers. Those gifts aren't just given to men who have the gift of teaching, of pastoring. But if we are not using those gifts, the body is disabled. Today, we ask expert missions mobilizer Lisa LaGeorge, plus some lessons she's learned along the way about short-term missions, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All that in just one minute. But first, a word from ABWE President Paul Davis. ABWE missionaries are coming beside the lost and the hurting around the world. And through the Global Gospel Fund, they're pulling people from the darkness and training them as leaders. They're planting churches, and they're even beginning their own missions movements. You may already support one ABWE missionary. Would you consider a gift to the Global Gospel Fund to support all 1,000 of our missionaries? Thank you for that. Become a partner today at abwe.org slash global gospel fund. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE International, joined by Scott Dunford, West Coast Advancement Coordinator for ABWE and Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. Scott, I got a message the other day from a, a loyal listener, David, and he told me he was about to go to the dentist, and, and he said that, that what soothes him is listening to the Missions Podcast uh, while he's in the chair. And so, you know, maybe our new slogan is uh, the Missions Podcast, less painful than a root canal. But if you are newer to the Missions Podcast, or maybe if your only exposure to ABWE, our parent organization, is through this show, I want to let you know that the Missions Podcast is actually a part of a bunch of resources offered by ABWE. A lot of those can be found on ABWE's blog, abwe.org slash blog. But we have uh, almost daily content, expert missiological articles, uh, devotional content is on there, our magazine. A lot of great stuff lives there on the blog. I'm grateful that we get to be a part of that. Also, uh, the Missions Podcast has its own social media channels. And if you're a loyal listener to the show, you may have noticed that we're putting out a few more clips here and there, little snippets now and then, things that make it easier for you to share the show. And while you're thinking about that, why don't you go ahead and share this show right now and let a friend know that you've been listening. Maybe it'll be of benefit to them as well. I'm really excited to get into today's episode. Uh, we have the privilege, and I, I do mean privilege, of talking to uh, somebody not only that we look up to as an expert in the area of, of mobilizing and leading short-term missions and, and doing so as a woman but also somebody who apparently has been listening to us for uh, a few years, which frankly, I don't, I don't understand. I think there's, I think there's better things that you could be listening to out there, but uh, Scott, tell us about our guest. I agree with everything you said, you said, and I'm really <laughs> thankful to be able to introduce uh, Dr. Lisa LaGeorge, someone who I feel like I've known a very long time. And I do think I've had some email correspondence over the years, but this is actually the first time we've ever met. Uh, even though it's over, over the, uh, the internet, I'm really glad to have Lisa, Dr. Lisa LaGeorge with us. She served as the director of at the Children's Hunger Fund uh, Academy in Silmar, California. Uh, she, for more than 20 years, uh, she served as a professor of missions and in administration and the student life department at the Masters University in Newhall, California. Uh, very involved with short-term trips, uh, involved with obviously 
teaching about missions um, and has been just a, a missions uh, mobilizer and influencer for, for many years there. Um, before she was at Masters, she spent five years uh, working in Alaska, uh, working with in a cross-cultural youth ministry there. And uh, she's a member of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Clarita, California. She's been to over 50 countries, uh, been involved. She's got a great blog out there talking about all sorts of topics and missions. And Lisa, we are so excited to have you on our show. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit more about your story, how you became involved in missions? And uh, we just lo- are, we, we'd love to introduce you more to our listeners. Oh, well, thanks so much, Scott and Alex. It's really a joy to be with you. I got to tell you, I'm fangirling a little bit having this opportunity to be with you. So appreciated your ministry over the years through this podcast. It's kept me current even when I haven't been able to travel as much. And so I'm really grateful for that. Uh, I grew up in upstate New York. I was in a town of 917 people and 3,000 cows. <laughs> and uh I was in a little Baptist church that had a missions uh, administrator who attended. And so all the missionaries coming home on furlough had to meet with this man. And because my parents owned the grocery store in town, we had food enough for everyone. Uh, My parents were hospitable and had all of those missionaries in our home. So as I look back at my uh, engagement in missions that really started at a very young age, uh, giving up my bedroom for visiting missionaries. And what a joy it was to meet these faithful servants and to see how God had used them in their various skills and uh, vocations, whether they were nurses in Bangladesh or they were uh, doctors or um, Bible translators. Uh, And so we would sit around the table and talk and hear their stories. And so from a very early age, there was nothing I wanted to do more than be involved in missions. I thought for a while that was going to be as a blacksmith in Mongolia because I loved horses and I didn't think I was school material. Uh, But the Lord was really kind to me to allow me to keep riding horses uh, but also see that I could study the scriptures at a deep level and and be engaged in helping others also in their understanding of the Word of God. So that's kind of my introduction to missions. So you you could we could have been interviewing a blacksmith from Mongolia today, but uh, we're not. That we'll have to schedule one of those a different time. But you you've worked for over twenty years in teaching missions and mobilizing students at a college level. So. What are some of the things that encourage you or discourage you about this generation and missions? Boy, I think one of the things that encourages me is students' eagerness to make a difference. There's there's a desire there that we have an opportunity as educators, as mobilizers, to really help shape. Um, I have I've loved taking my students to the cross conference. Mm. And to sitting and talking with them afterward about these messages from these faithful servants of the Lord and be able to really uh, chew on the scriptures and say, is that really what the word of God says? And so that's been super encouraging to me is seeing a desire of students to be faithful to the word of God, wherever it is that the Lord would take them whether they end up in the Central Valley of California or they end up in the Czech Republic or somewhere deep in the heart of of Cameroon Bible translating, uh, what does it look like to be faithful to God? I think something else that's been encouraging to me has been um, 
the communication that is capable uh, that that we have a capacity for mm. now with missionaries on the field. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, before it used to be, I would, I would write to a friend and I would say, can you send a letter to my class about what you're working on right now? Now it's possible to just say, Hey, can we, can we get you to zoom in <laughs> and uh, spend some time with my students and talk about what it really looks like for you to live in this village and work on this, this Bible project. So those, I mean, it's a really dynamic age, right? For technology and how that can augment mission and our, our ability to actually both mobilize and uh, to get the word out about what the Lord is doing in other places. Um, I think some of the things that discourage me, frankly, are that it feels like short-term missions has become kind of a missions inoculation. Mm. Oh, you know, we're talking about Mm. vaccinations a lot these days, but it feels like for a while, and I'm hoping the tide's changing on this, but for a while, it has seemed like if you go on a short-term missions trip when you're in high school, that's it. You've done your piece. You understand missions in its fullness, and you're able to then just kind of move on and, and achieve your American dream. And so I think that's been discouraging to me is seeing the misuse of short-term missions in mobilization. Mm. Um, I think there's also been a misuse of short-term missions uh, on the field where churches in the States or North America, I'm not going to blame Canada for this, but we'll just say the States, churches in the States have seen the mission field as a um, kind of an extension arm Mm. of the youth ministry. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I never thought of it that way. Yeah. And that's troubling to me because if I'm going to send a group of college students or high schoolers to work, um, in my case, it was for up to six weeks, six or eight weeks, um, with my best friends somewhere in a foreign land, I'm, I'm going to be very, very careful about who I'm sending and why, because I know that that's going to have an, a massive impact positively and negatively, possibly on the ministry that I'm sending those students to. So I want to be kind to my friends on the field when mm. I send them students. Um, and that's, that's really been troubling to me as we've, as we've looked at how short-term missions is used in mobilization. So kind of following up on that, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Do, do you see, or I, I obviously you see you've been involved with it for majority of your ministry, how do you see short-term missions kind of fitting into the broader, larger mission strategy? What, what role do you think that, that short-term missions, whether it's with college students or adults or even youth group, how does that fit into the big picture in your mind? I'm, uh, I'm unwilling to say we should get rid of short-term missions, but I think we should probably eliminate about 80% Mm. of it. I do think, however, there are some really key ways that we can use short-term missions uh, for the church, uh, both both the sending church and the receiving church, and uh, and so I think it's really it's impingent on the senders to be very very careful. Uh, I think it can bring great awareness to the sending church as to what God is doing around the world. Right. We as Americans have a tendency to say, oh, you know, we're going to look around and see where God isn't at work and send our missionaries there. 
I think sending short-term teams around the world helps us to recognize that God is at work everywhere. We're not sending people so he can work in a place. Mm. We're sending people to partner alongside with what he's already doing. And so I think it, it helps bring awareness to what God is doing in the world. Uh, I, I think it, it helps to, um, to really activate people's understanding of how they could be supporting churches around the world. Uh, if, if 90% of our Christian workers are in one location, uh, which is you know, 10% of the world, then 90% of the world is without is without witness. And I think it's helpful for churches to recognize that. What does it mean for us to care about the other ends of the earth, Mm -hmm. right? Sitting here in California, I feel like I am at the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And at some point it may drop off into the ocean, but Mm -hmm. what about the other ends of the earth that don't have the access to the scriptures and the access to to churches and the the access to resources uh, that we have here in, in the West, it's helpful for churches to recognize what's, what's really helping, what's going on. I think it is helpful for a young person who may be considering spending the rest of their life overseas to be able to explore that, to see where the tension points are in their own sanctification when it comes to the magnifying glass of cross-cultural conflict. Uh, and so I do think there is a there's an aspect where short term can help in the mobilization of young people. And I think it also can take a young person who maybe has a thirst for adventure. And I know you you guys have talked about motivations mm. uh, in going into missions over the even the last couple of uh, of recordings. But I think it helps young people take those motivations and really shape them in a way that would be more biblical, not just the romantic view of, I'm going to go hug babies in a village yeah. in Uganda. And and it, there's nothing wrong with hugging babies, right? But they can actually take that and see, what is it that God is calling us to do when he says, make disciples and teach them everything that I've commanded mm-hmm. you? It is hugging babies, but it's also doing the the disciple making along the mm. way. You've already kind of talked about this, but we had a question from another loyal listener, Jonathan Painter. Shout out to Jonathan and Elizabeth Painter. Um, but he he's asking, as somebody uh, in his late 20s, went on a short-term missions trip in high school, and now many of the youth group kids, you know, you, you said that short-term missions is in many cases becoming an extension of the youth group. And a lot of those people that he went on those trips with now have left the faith. And so something that he's wondering as he's building out missions pipelines in his own church is can any old student, right, any old high school or college student go on a missions trip? I mean, are you, or what sort of requirements are you looking for? Are you looking for just membership or are you looking for some other you know, bar that they have to clear uh, before they become in that kind of a program? Because you're, you're right, it can have value and it can expose them to certain things. But where is the standard for who should be involved in that? Sure. That's a great question, uh, and one that I I hope every missions pastor is asking, and not just leaving that to the youth pastor, right? Uh, and and really every senior pastor, because all missions really flows throughout the pastoral community. It isn't just the responsibility of of a missions pastor who has been on a short term trip and cares about the world. 
It's, it's everyone's responsibility. Um, but what kind of bar would I set? Um, if we're going to protect the field, which I think is one of our first calls as a church, when we do send people to our missionaries, the short-term teams to our missionaries, if we're going to protect the field, I think we have to bring people who are going to be uh, good examples of how a Christian lives. And so I don't think you can legitimately send unbelievers on a short-term missions trip and still call it a missions trip. Uh, so I would say that would be my my very first qualification would be a, a faith that is evident and that is growing in their understanding of who God is and how God is sanctifying them as they're, as they're progressing forward. Uh, I think another, another thing I would be looking for is what is this individual's engagement with the local church today? I had a college professor who used to say, as now, so then. Why would we pay money to send somebody overseas to do what they're not doing in their local church right. or in their local community, right? Especially on a short-term trip. And so I would want to see faithfulness in a local congregation. Um, in some cases, a missionary may request members of that short-term team who would be actually baptized members. Because that's, again, one of those, those uh, things that the Lord has commanded us to do is to be baptized and demonstrate who he is to a watching world, even in that commitment. And so we would want, there are some missionaries that that would be very, very critical. It would be a question people would ask. I've had people ask me that question as I've been traveling. When were you baptized? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and so yeah. that becomes, that becomes part of your testimony, part of, part of your conversation, depending on the location. Uh, I think a third thing that would be helpful would be, uh, maybe I'm on my fourth thing. I've lost count already. Uh, <laughs> something that uh, I'm not, I was never good at math. <laughs> you know, um, we're not so counting. I think something <laughs> good. Uh, something else that would be really helpful would be, uh, someone who is, fluent in being able to communicate very simply the gospel of Jesus. Can someone actually sit down and say that creator God has made a way for sinful man to come to know him through his perfect and holy son? Uh, can someone actually have a conversation with someone in a foreign context and be able to communicate the gospel to them. Again, as now, so right. then. And that wouldn't necessarily have to be the main focus of the short-term trip. Not every short-term trip is about evangelism, mm. but evangelism ought to be the heartbeat of every believer who's thinking about being engaged in missions. Mm. Absolutely. It needs to be. Uh, great advice there. There's a lot more that we could talk about with short-term missions, but we want to dive into the role of women in missions too and hear your perspective, Lisa, as a complementarian. It's interesting. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Have you ever been approached by a student expressing a missionary call? For the last 15 years, Spurgeon College's Fusion program has been equipping students for missions through life-on-life -life discipleship, college coursework, and intensely practical training. If you know a student desiring to become a missionary, send them to Fusion at Spurgeon College as their next step. 
to learn more about how we are equipping students for a lifetime, visit SpurgeonCollege.com fusion. Hi, I'm Scott Dunford, and I'd like to share with you about a new nonprofit ministry established to help churches, Christian schools, and other ministries protect children and prevent abuse. Rich Hamar from Church Law and Tax states that the number one reason that drives churches to court is child sexual abuse. I can't think of anything more devastating to these lives, their families, and our witness before a watching world than sexual abuse that takes place in ministry. The traumatic impact often leaves the vulnerable not wanting anything to do with God or his people. Our efforts toward evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual spiritual formation are not only neutralized, but shattered. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention was formed to help ministry leaders understand the complexities of child protection and abuse prevention. They are establishing standards and an accreditation program that will help verify that appropriate measures are in place at your church or ministry. Learn more about them. Find a helpful and free assessment tool to help you see how you measure up in this area. Go to abuseprevention.org and click on the link for this resource assessment. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. And this June, attend the National Conference. Go to abuseprevention.org and register with ABWE21 as the promo code to receive 20% off your ticket. That's promo code ABWE21 to receive 20% off. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. I am here with Mark Dever, senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist and president of Nine Marks. When you go to a culture that's a different language than yours, you're ending up in a kind of majority language that's been reached and there are other peoples still more hidden, and it's those people who are often almost entirely unreached, and they take more cross-cultural effort. Is there a way we can better train people to have more realistic expectations of what life is like in the kind of two steps away from my culture, and be able to sustain family life with its normal difficulties there, so that there can be a long years and even decades long witness in that culture. And it seems like Radius is set up to provide that training. Radius is about reaching unreached people groups. Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. We're back with Lisa LaGeorge, who has spent an impressive career in thinking and writing about uh, various missions topics and mobilizing people. Um, Scott, I'll let you take the next question, but you know, where I think Lisa brings a fantastic perspective, um, is as someone who's led in missions, but also done so in a way that biblically is, is really well aware of and cognizant of the, uh, the, the difference in gender roles that God has called us to. Um, and yet there's, there's still plenty of room for, for us to talk about, you know, are we, um, seeing women's gifts used on the mission field adequately, right? Yeah. And <laughs> Well, first, first I want to say, and maybe this is completely inappropriate, but I really want to get Brooks Buser on the show to just to say Lisa LaGeorge dot com. Lisa LaGeorge. <laughs> Radius International dot org. So Radius dot org. Uh, I'm thankful for that. Anyway, sorry, that was a really bad segue. Love you, Really Brooks. bad segue, Lisa. But I think I can provide a picture of Brooks Buser as like a seven or eight year old kid, too, if you'd like. I met him on the mission field. Oh, man, she knows everybody. See, she should be hosting oh, the show. Great. She knows everybody. I don't know Brooks, but yeah. <laughs> you, you, you've spent a lot of time thinking and writing on, on these topics. And, and, uh, you know, we, we, we really don't give, um, 
enough emphasis on the incredible work of women in, in missions. And uh, a lot of that work obviously is just being done behind the scenes in, in just quietly faithful ways that eternity will scream. But we, you know, we don't see the incredible you know, books and movies about that, except, you know, when, uh, you know, Mary Slusser, or Amy Carmichael, uh, you know, kind of get highlighted in missions history. But um, there are ways that women are leading, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm married to a, a, a dynamic woman who's a leader, you know, and she, when she has opportunity, she's, she's a, a, a great leader. You know, we've seen that in other ways uh, where, where women, you know, don't just fill support roles, but are, but are dynamic leaders in and of their own, their own giftings. And then of course we come like with this, a little bit of a, not a conflict, cause I don't think it's a conflict, but we, you know, we see scripture limiting roles of, you know, pastors to, to men. And so sometimes we even just go, well, women can't, you know, can't use those leadership skills, but you, you've, you've t- thought about this some, I'm sure maybe more than some, um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm just going to tee it up for you. What are some of the unseen ways that you see women being used in missions and ways that women are using some of the gifts and skills God gave them even in, in leadership type capacities? Sure. That is a, that is a great question because it feels sometimes like Within our complementarian, uh, shall we say, bubble, we have done what the ancient Jews did years ago, where we've set a hedge around the Torah. You know, if if the Torah says don't uh, don't kindle fire on the Sabbath, well, that means we're not even going to flip a a light switch on, or you know, we're going to make sure that we we don't even get close to kindling fire. And so uh, it seems like within the church, within missions, oftentimes we have pushed women and their gifts that are God-given even further uh, back from serving and from leading because we want to be very careful not to... um, uh, not to bring any kind of offense or not to distract someone from the gospel or not to be unbiblical in how we engage together. And so I think, you know, that's, that's one of the, the places that I'm starting in my thinking is how do we actually engage women biblically? Because there's also an unbiblical way we can engage women not just in having them do roles that aren't intended for them, but in limiting them from roles that could be possible. Um, and so I think that's, that's key for us to be thinking, to be thinking about. Uh, in unseen ways, I think uh, women have uh, many spiritual gifts, uh, just like the men in the body have their gifts that are given by the spirit. Um, and I think one of the things that jumps to our minds immediately is the gift of hospitality. And yet if we stop and think about the gift of hospitality, that was magnified in the scriptures as being one of those roles that elders should have. Right. So it's not hospitality. Isn't just for women. It's actually for the men as well, or even more importantly for the men to be leading and really uh, working toward. And so, you know, I think women have opportunities to write 
and to uh, provide hospitality, to teach, to, to be careful administrators, but then also to explore within specific cultural settings how they might best use their skills within that setting to reach populations that would not be possible for a man to reach. Yeah. Uh, I, I have been teaching uh, classes in church history, missions history, women in the church over the last 20 years. And uh, one of my heroes is a woman named Lilius Trotter. And uh, she served in North Africa for over 40 years. Frail woman, one of those stories where a mission agency wouldn't send her because her health was frail. And yet she was just a, a dynamic minister of the gospel. And she realized that women in the community of Algiers where she served, there was there was no connection for them to even engage with the Christians who were in the community or the missionaries or pastors who were in their community. And so she found out what the natural rhythm of, uh, of women in the community was. And one of the things that women frequently did was they would travel from the city to uh, visit the graveyard that was outside of the city. And it was hot in, in the desert there. And so Lilius actually went out and bought a home halfway between the city and the graveyard. And then in 19, I believe it was around 1905 or 1910, she wrote home to England and said that she would like to bring to, to the service uh, young women who could, if heart and hand be ready, uh, could serve in such a way as, uh, as language would allow. And so her idea was, let's develop our home as a center of hospitality to actually begin teaching these women. They would come in, they would get water, they would rest in the coolness of the courtyard, and then they would proceed on. And so she began developing relationships with them in that mm. way. She was also an artist. I think this is another way where we can see women just really flourish in using the skills that God has given them. Uh, teaching, uh, both in the area of children and in practical skills and uh, ESL, but always keeping in mind that whatever the role is, just as I mentioned before with short-term missions, that, that there's an aspect of recognizing we are making disciples. We're not just supporting the men. We as women are making disciples mm -hmm. and we are teaching people to, to uh, know the words of Christ and his teachings along yeah, the way. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's critical because, um, you know, that it is difficult. There's two different types of complementarians, right? There's the type of complementarian who is complementarian as a technicality. You know, in other words, it, in every way, they're functionally egalitarian, but then they, they stumble upon this random passage in, in, in Paul's writings. And they're like, well, okay, I, I guess women can't be a pastor, but, but then it, it's sort of, it's, it's sort of uh, a, an appendage, a vestigial organ, right? In, in their, um, in sure. their um, theology versus, you know, somebody who is steeped in the, the whole body of divinity, right? The, this matrix of biblical teaching on the glory of, of womanhood and the glory of manhood. Um, and, and they understand mm -hmm. the beautiful interplay and the, the love and the respect between husband and wife and the, the, the different um, roles um, that those um, two sexes inhabit. 
and so that you get to Paul and it's it's not a surprise what he says it it meshes with everything else and I, I think that there's a, a beauty there you know I in um, in our morning time at the breakfast table this morning my uh, my wife our kids uh, we looked briefly at Psalm, excuse me, Proverbs 31, right? The, the Proverbs 31 woman. Mm. And at the end there, you know, the her husband, her children will rise up, will call her blessed, right? The final word, verse there is let her works praise her in the gates. And, um, you know, in the context of married women and women of children, um, I, I think one of the reasons that things like motherhood and wifery have been so um, marginalized in the, the current cultural consciousness is because we don't have more men who celebrate and who praise their, their wives, the mothers of their children for that beautiful work there. And I think going back to what you said about making disciples, that that applies to those who even a, a single woman who may not have biological children, spiritual children that you have, right? People that you've discipled, women that you've discipled and walked with and have led to the Lord, there's a, a, a beauty of the sort of spiritual motherhood there to where even, you know, Timothy, a man op- occupying pastoral leadership in the church, the apostle Paul says, hey, remember what uh, Lois uh, and uh, and Eunice, uh, is it Eunice? Uh, Lois, uh, anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Um, but remember what your mother and grandmother taught you, right? There's there's a beauty there. There's a, a yeah. spiritual, a spiritual parentage there as as well as obviously the the physical parentage there. And, you know, I agree with what you're saying. There's certain doors that open. I know women serving in a dangerous context in, in the Middle East. Um, we actually interviewed them a long time ago on this show, but uh, you know, in this yeah, country, the missionaries out there. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, <laughs> yes. You know, the, but, but if you were a male missionary going into that context, you would very, you'd be viewed very suspiciously. People would assume you were there to, you know, to convert, to rally people together. Maybe you're a government spy. Um, they, as, as single women, they really do fly under the radar and they're invited into the lives of women and children and families in a way that a, a man wouldn't be. And God uses that for the sake of the gospel. That's not an accident. There's a, a beauty there. So I want to hear your perspective, Lisa. What do you wish that churches and pastors knew about the ways that women can be used in missions? I mean, I think, first of all, I would love for churches to recognize that God has given spiritual gifts to all of his believers. Those gifts aren't just given to men. They aren't just given to men who have the gift of teaching, of pastoring. Yeah. Uh, but, but every believer has a gift. And here's what I read. Uh, in the epistles of Paul, if we are not using those gifts, if every believer is not using those gifts, the body is disabled. Yeah. And so I think I just want to start there and say, use every bit of the body and recognize that my role as a single woman isn't just to go sit in the nursery. Right. Now, somebody needs to, right? Uh, this is the second time I've said it's not about holding babies. I like babies. Really, I do. Uh, but I don't think that that's necessarily the only place that I can be used in the local church. Um, so I think that's one thing. It's just recognize that God has gifted us with gifts. And we need to find ways within the church to use it for the good of the mm-hmm. church. Um, and for the for the benefit of the gospel, 
really. Uh, I think something else that would be um, that would be very helpful is for uh, churches to recognize, and and I would just I would say this is a trend that I'm seeing in missions that concerns me, uh, and that's the trend of saying our church needs to refocus our mission sending strategy. Now, focus isn't a bad thing, <laughs> right? I think focus is yeah. good. And I do think there's probably a lot of scattered, scattered focuses that people have had. But in this trend that I'm seeing, especially in, in my neighborhood, uh, theological neighborhood, um, churches have said the only thing that we're going to do is pastoral training or specifically uh, church planting as the pastor of the church right. plant. And so that means that if you've got a, um, let's say a principal of a missionary kids school serving, say somewhere in Asia, and all of a sudden your church strategy has changed, it's quite possible that that church is going to call that veteran missionary and say, we're going to withdraw our sending support and our financial support within the next six months, unless you become a church planting mm -hmm. pastor. Right. So that trend uh, is something that actually, I think, is actually diminishing the roles, mm. the additional roles that women can have on the field. Mm. Because that narrowness means there's only one stripe of ministry possible that our church is going to support. So if you're a teacher and you want to go teach missionary kids, you're not, we're not going to send you or we're not going to support you right. to go. Um, and so I think this trend, I think the, the mission, mission committees, uh, the pastoral team really need to take a look at that and say, what does it mean for our church to support men and women in the area of missions? Totally um, agree. Uh, I mean, we're just, just, uh, I want to like, we're working on a, an issue of our magazine right now. I mentioned the magazine at the beginning of the podcast. It's all focused on the, the critical nature of teams. You can't, you know, Paul surrounded himself with teams, right? He, yes. he had Aquila and Priscilla. So did it, Jesus. It, right. Yeah. And, and if your goal is to create a thriving body of Christ, you need every member of the body uh, exporting to a new field and place and people group what each part of the body does. Absolutely. You know, one of my pet peeves when I watch the NBA is watching, you may be a Lakers fan being down in LA, but like when I watch LeBron, he's always whining because he's not getting, you know, the calls that he thinks he deserves. And so, you know, people are always like, hey, wow, these superstars get special treatment. And I, I as you were talking, I kind of felt like grieved, you know, in my spirit, like, I mean, how many times do I as a pastor kind of like, oh, you know, no one noticed that the thing that I did or, you know, uh, I didn't get enough affirmation from my preaching. And you do see kind of like a lot of this, like, what was me pastor talk on the Twitter sphere, you know, and, and it, as you were talking, it, it, it highlighted for me, we do kind of have an expectation that like, yeah, everyone gets gifts, but pastors get special gifts. And I mean, right. when, and, and, I, and I don't, I don't think we need to democratize leadership. And I do no. think that God uses gifts in different ways, but if we don't, if, if we don't talk about and celebrate and find ways that all the gifts are really valuable, important and necessary, then we do send a message that 
they don't matter. And when they don't matter, no one wants to do them, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and when no one does them, that creates problems both in the local church and in the mission field. And so I really appreciate you highlighting that and, and bringing that to our attention. And, um, and, you know, I know speaking, speaking up on that and that, and those are, these are, these are issues that sometimes sadly are kind of controversial and I don't really think that they should be. And I think that Jesus and Paul would probably look at us sideways and go like, you thought that was controversial. Like, don't you see the example here of, of the way we're all ministering together and yeah, there's differences in gifting, but, but the gifts are important. So what are some of the effective ways that you've seen women mobilized in, in healthy ways uh, into missions? Oh, you know, when there are, elders or pastors who are looking out at their congregation uh, and they're actually celebrating what God is doing in various aspects of that congregation. I think that's one of the first things. Mm. I remember uh, a number of years ago attending a church for a while where uh, the pastor actually said to me at one point, uh, because you're a single woman, we don't feel that you can exercise your gifts within the body. He wasn't talking about my teaching gifts to the entire body. He was talking about my spiritual gifts as a whole. Oh. Right. And so I said to myself, okay, Lord, this is time. This is one of those reasons why you would leave a church oh, yeah. and go somewhere else. And so I went to another congregation that was close to, uh, that was close to my home and I sat down in the very first Sunday, that pastor in his pastoral prayer, thanked the Lord for the men and women, the married people and the single people in the congregation. Mm. And just that bit of affirmation <laughs> was enough for me to just sigh with relief of recognizing that the Lord was going to be able to use me so and I was going to have a part in this congregation, right? Yeah. You know, being single is another whole yeah. beast, right? If you want to talk about intersectional uh, living, we could talk about being <laughs> single and being a woman and being in, you know, in a conservative, uh, complementary congregation anyway. Um, so I think just just being recognized as being a person who is an image bearer, who does have spiritual gifts is, is really helpful. I think um, having, uh, having a church that... Um, even within all of their different uh, teams that they, they um, recognize and they assist teams in being healthy. So um, modeling healthy teams within the church, I think allows women to recognize that healthy teams could exist in other forms of ministry as well, uh, maybe within a missions community. And so I, you know, I've visited a lot of missionaries on the field over the years as I've been doing teacher training and uh, various aspects of the ministry that I've been that I've been asked to participate in, and I see a lot of uh, bifurcation that takes place on mission in mission fields among teams, where maybe the men don't believe they can actually be friends with their female colleagues, um, or the women are afraid of uh, afraid of maybe crossing some some complementarian line mm. so they never speak up for themselves or for other people in the room. Um, all of those things are unhealthy uh, 
expressions of what the body of Christ looks like. Mm. And so if a church can actually form those healthy teams, promote good, godly, biblical family relationships for singles and marrieds, for men and women together, I think that begins to give women hope that they too could be used both in that local church and be sent by that local church to help form other local churches wherever that might be. Um, I think one of the most healthy missions churches that I've ever seen actually made a really, uh, maybe a, I don't know if it's a scandalous choice or not, but it was a choice to include one of the elders' wives in every one of their elders' meetings. So the women would actually rotate through. They didn't have a voting voice if it came to a vote. But the women would be able to say, hey, if you guys are making decisions about the nursery, yeah. let's at least think about <laughs> things here that the women care about, right? Um, Most of my dumb decisions as a pastor could have been avoided if I had talked to my wife I first. was just thinking something <laughs> oh. very similar. I'm thinking how much better I would be in meetings if I had my wife next to me. I, I would be a lot more effective. Yeah. Oh, yes. So pastors actually ask, uh, last thing here, um, pastors and elders who ask good questions mm is one great way to mobilize women. That's uh, and that's mobilize within the church as well as mobilize to, uh, to missions as well. I mean, if an elder asks me, hey, what did you think about that decision? That's just very helpful for me to be able to express, to influence, um, and, and to be able to, to utilize my gifts of observation and experience to, to help in building the church. Well, and I think Satan would want nothing more than for the world and for the church to view um, the biblical view of the roles of the sexes um, as something oppressive. Whereas, you know, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? His commandments are not burdensome. First John five. And, and uh, in the old Testament, you have, you know, Yahweh drawing his people with, bonds of love. And that's in reference to the mm. law, right? The, the God's law is his bonds of love. And so, you know, operating this way consistently and, and the beauty of, of the way that God designed uh, men and husbands and pastors to lead and for women to be in uh, supporting and helping roles in those ways is a beautiful thing, but it, we can make it ugly. <laughs> we, we can make yeah. it feel um, less than beautiful. And so what are some examples of ways that are, that are biblically faithful, um, also effective that you've seen agencies and churches utilizing women in missions? I love hearing when agencies are actually uh, looking to have women as a part of their teams. They're giving them a voice on a field council, uh, or they're asking them to train and mentor younger missionaries. Those are just some amazing, uh, amazing ways to recognize that God's gifting in in their missionaries and those those experiences. Um, I I'm involved in a really dynamic church that loves missions. And I've, I've only been in this congregation about two and a half years, but I've been very encouraged by the missions pastor having conversations with me. Sometimes it's just a bump in the hall, you know, where you go, Hey, what about this? And, 
and he and I will banter a little bit and then we'll circle back around at another point. We've taught a class together on missions, one of the online classes that I teach for the master's university. And we've had opportunities to, to really say, okay, how is it that God is encouraging our body to continue to engage outside of these walls? Um, so I think uh, engaging people to to mentor, to care for people, uh, inviting them into their families, making them a part of their families, uh, and encouraging teams on the field to do this. Um, I've seen uh, agencies ask women to write. Mm. And so those voices of, of clear thinkers, uh, that's just, it's very encouraging. It's encouraging for me to see a thoughtful presentation uh, of a missions experience from someone who uh, has a similar experience that I do. Uh, and I think it's also helpful for male colleagues to read a woman's experience and to be able to be more thoughtful and more caring in the process. I think in some ways, if missionaries and mission agencies would view gender and generations at um, as carefully as they view crossing culture, mm. it would actually give us some really keen understanding mm. of how to love and care and communicate with people who are not our gender or who are not our generation. Mm. Mm. You're spitting fire, Lisa. Thank you so much for that. We From my music stand. Yeah, from your music stand on the floor next to the piano. Uh, no. That's right. Uh, That's right. We are we are really thankful for your coming on. We're thankful for your perspective and you're taking the time to talk to us. Uh, so many more things I wish we could talk about, and uh, but unfortunately, our time is is running short. How can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about your your writing, your ministry? If someone wanted to have you even come in and speak or teach on missions, how can they do that? Sure, uh, it's pretty simple. I have a. a blog that I do some writing on a couple times a week. I, I bring some of my missionary friends on to join me in guest posts as well. Uh, and that's just uh, lisalagegeorge.com. There's a contact list there, uh, our contact opportunity there so people can email me. Um, that's one way to get a hold of me if you'd like to see some more of the work uh, that I'm involved in here at Children's Hunger Fund. Uh, you can find us at uh, childrenshungerfund.org. I actually am recruiting for uh, summer interns right now. If you know of a college student that would like to get involved in a nonprofit uh, missions opportunity, uh, you can find us there at childrenshungerfund.org. I also do some uh, curricular development here with CHF, and we have a museum experience that right now, because we're in California, is uh, only online, uh, but that museum experience is at povertyencounter.org, or we also are, are working with uh, Vacation Bible School curriculum with Answers in Genesis, uh, with a little missions moments helping, uh, helping young kids uh, some of whom are being exposed to the scriptures for the first time, also be exposed to missions and what God is doing around the world. So those are just a few ways people can uh, can find me uh, on Twitter also. Very good. Well, thank you, Lisa. I'm so grateful that you've been listening to the show. Thank and you. Thank you for joining us today, sharing your perspective. 
And thank you for listening as well. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com. And before you leave, make sure you share this episode. Also, leave us a positive review and a five-star rating uh, in your app of choice. You can email any questions or comments that you have to alex at missionspodcast.com. Until next week, thank you for listening.